As you know, we have been in this series that we are calling The Wonder of God. And to this point, we have talked about the wonder of God's goodness. We've talked about the wonder of God's sovereignty. We've talked about the wonder of God's faithfulness. How many of you are thankful today that God is faithful? That if he says it, he will do it. Today I want to talk to you about the wonder of God's grace. The wonder of God's grace. We back up here to Psalm chapter 78 because we don't want to fall into the same trap that the nation of Israel did. That after everything that God did for the nation of Israel, the Bible said that they forgot what he had done. Now, can you imagine that? After being slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and then God bringing them out of their bondage, and God parting the waters of the Red Sea right before their eyes so that they could cross on dry ground, God providing for them in the wilderness the food that they needed to eat and the water they needed to drink. And the Bible said that their clothes didn't wear out. I mean, whatever needs they had, whatever miracles they needed God to do, God did it. But they forgot the wonders of God, the great wonders that he had shown them. Now, that's, that's so important that we don't forget what God has done because if we forget what God's done in our lives, then it's going to affect how we respond to God. The whole purpose of this series of messages is to help us to get better acquainted with who God is. And that's, that's important in itself because, as I've said throughout this series, we don't really worship God. We worship our concept of God. We worship who we think God is. That's why it's important that we know who God really is. It's important that we know what the Bible has to say about God. Because as I've said, if you truly know who God is, you won't have to have a worship leader. You won't have to have a pastor. You won't have to have anybody get up and try to motivate or inspire you to worship. Just what you know about God should be enough to motivate and inspire you to want to worship God and to give God your best. So that's why we have to know who God is because it affects how we respond to God. And so today we're going to talk about the wonder of God's grace because to me, this is the wonder of all wonders, is God's grace. Now, the reason why I feel like I need to talk about grace this morning is because I believe it's one of the most understood attributes of God. One of the most understood concepts that we find in the Word of God is this thing called grace. It's so hard for us to understand it. It's so hard for us to comprehend the grace of God. And it's definitely hard for us to believe that we deserve the grace of God at work in our lives. See, there's a lot of people who believe that grace is defined as divine enablement. Now, I need to tell you that there's a difference between what grace is and what grace does. So that's the reason why I feel like I need to talk about it and bring some clarity this morning because we need to know what grace is and we also need to know what it is that grace does. Grace does divinely enable us to live the life that God has called us to live, but that's not what grace is. 
And I hope that when you leave here this morning that you will have a picture, and I believe that you will, that you will have a picture of what grace really is. Now, this whole series, I've not been trying to preach from a theological perspective about the attributes of God as much as I have just been trying to speak from a practical view of God's attributes. And I'm going to do the same today. This is probably going to be one of the most simple messages that you've ever heard me preach because I really believe that we've taken the simple principle of grace and we've complicated it. And it really doesn't need to be complicated, but there's three things this morning that we need to be aware of that grace is. Number one, grace is unmerited. If you're taking notes this morning, you need to write that down. You need to write all of these down today because you're going to need them. But grace is unmerited. Here's what that means. It just simply means you and I don't deserve grace. And in order for us to better understand grace, there are two other words in the Bible, two other attributes of God that we need to understand, and that is called justice and mercy. Look at this if you would. Justice, because we need to understand this, justice is giving us what we deserve. That's justice. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Does that make sense? Trying to explain it as simply as I can. That justice is God giving us what we deserve. Mercy is when God gives us what, or, or justice is giving us what we deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Let, let me say it like this. Justice, and God has every right to do this because of our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So if you and I were to get the justice of God, then he, he, he is just in sending us to hell because of our sins. But mercy says that he does not send us to hell. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And then grace gives us what we don't deserve. That is, we deserve hell. God doesn't give it to us. So what does God do? He gives us heaven. He gives us what we don't deserve. If you're here in this room this morning and you don't believe, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, and, and this is what the scripture says. I'm, I'm not just being mean this morning, but the scripture says that if we do not have a relationship with Jesus, when we die, we will spend eternity in hell. That's justice. And there's no choice in the matter. That's where we're going to spend eternity if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior when we die. Well, let me tell you this. If you do know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ when you die, listen to me, you don't have a choice. You have to go to heaven. You have to go to heaven. Faith or, or grace is undeserving. Grace is unmerited. Look at this passage of scripture that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. He said, for by grace you have been saved. Notice he doesn't say for by your works you have been saved. He doesn't even say for by faith you've been saved. He says by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. 
And then he goes on, he says, it's the gift of God, not of works. So he's very clear here. It's very clear that Paul is wanting us to understand that we cannot save ourselves. Listen, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how much you pray. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how much you clothe the naked or feed the hungry or give drink to the thirsty or provide shelter for those who are homeless. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the only way that you can be saved. You are not saved by your works. You don't deserve this gift of eternal life. He said it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now listen, you may boast on this earth, but I guarantee you when you get to heaven and you see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, you will not boast any longer. You will understand that the only way you ever got to heaven was because not of what you did, but because of what Jesus had already done at the cross. And you were wise enough to put your faith and your trust in what Jesus did. And because of that, you undeservingly received the free gift of salvation of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now listen, we know the song, the old song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. We know that it was the amazing grace of God, only by his grace that we are saved. Now listen, if you're one of those that believes that you're saved by your merit, that you're saved by your works, what you're saying is you're amazing. But when it comes to salvation, you're not amazing. Grace is amazing. I'll tell you what's amazing. The Bible says that your sins and my sins had separated us from God. The Bible tells us that all of us had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God loved us so much and Jesus loved us so much that he paid a price that we could not pay. So that when we put our faith and trust in him, we get something that we don't deserve. We get something that we don't earn. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Friend, that is amazing grace right there. Amazing grace. So when it comes to grace, grace is unmerited. Grace is undeserved. But not only is it unmerited, here's the second thing about grace. God's grace is unearned. I just talked about that a little bit. Look at this passage of scripture. Paul says in Romans 11 and 6, and if by grace, that is, if we're saved by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. A little bit of a tongue twister right there, isn't it? But basically what Paul is saying is this. He's saying it's either by grace or it's by works. It can't be both. It's one or the other. And of course, we know we're saved by grace. Grace is a free gift. Works has to be earned. It's something that you earn. If you have to earn it, it's not grace. And if it's grace, then you don't have to work for it. You understand? This is one of the reasons why I feel like I had to talk about grace. It's the same reason why Paul spent so much time talking about grace. Because people misunderstand grace. 
They think that salvation is maybe 99% grace, but you got to throw that 1% works in there. No, if it's works, then it's not grace. And if it's grace, then it's not works. It is 100% grace. The Bible says that he who began a good work in you will continue that good work until that work is finished. Listen to me. You start by grace, you continue by grace, and you finish by grace. Nothing that you do gets you to heaven. Are you hearing me this morning? Nothing. You cannot earn your way there. Now, do we do good works? Absolutely, as an evidence of our relationship with God. But we're not doing it trying to earn our way to glory, not trying to earn our way to heaven, not trying to earn our way into eternal life. We do it out of hearts of gratitude and out of hearts of love that because of everything that God has done for us, now we want to serve him with our lives. Let let, let me explain it like this. The Greek word, if you go back and look at the Greek word for grace, the Greek word is charis. That's how we pronounce it in our English language is charis but actually it's pronounced haris haris and i'm gonna have to tell my dad about this because my dad's name is horace he didn't know he was named grace but charis or haris is how you pronounce it now now it's so important that we understand that these Greek words were a part of Greek culture long before they were a part of the scripture. And so in order to fully understand these words, you have to go back to how those words were used in Greek culture. And really there was two words that were used in Greek culture that spoke about giving gifts. One of those words is the word that we get our word benevolence from. And we know what benevolence is. But that word only includes two people when it comes to gift giving and gift receiving. You have a superior who gives to an inferior. You have someone who has resources who directly gives those resources to their clients. But when it comes to the word haris or charis, the word that we use for grace, in that culture, It did not represent two people that were involved in the giving process. It involved three people. And you had three people, and those three people were called, get this, the broker, the patron, and the client. Now, you got to get this in order to fully understand that grace cannot be earned. The, the, The broker, the patron, and the client, let's just say that you had a shoe store and there were some people in need of shoes, then benevolence would say that the person who has the shoe store would bless the person who needs some shoes. But when you look at Haris, there's three people that are involved in the process. Here's what would happen. The broker would go to the patron. The patron is the one who had the resources, the shoes, the clothes, the food. And the broker would go to the patron. But, but the broker, you've got to understand, the broker was a man or a person of great means themselves. But what the broker had chosen to do is the broker had chosen to live among the needy, to live among those who were poor. 
even though he had great means in and of himself. And so what he would do is the broker would go to the patron knowing that he had the resources and he would say, I'm not asking you to donate the resources. I'm telling you that I've got the means that I'm going to purchase those resources so that the clients who are in need can have what they need free of charge because they can't afford it. Now, when you think about that process and you look at you and I and our relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our advocate, that Jesus is our broker. And Jesus goes to God the Father because he knows that the greatest needs that you and I have in our lives is salvation, healing, and deliverance. And he knows that you and I cannot afford those things. That there's not enough money in the world that can purchase those things, that can buy those things. That we do not have the resources to obtain the things that we need most. And so Jesus, our broker and our advocate, he goes to the patron who is the father, who has the resources that we need. And he doesn't say, I want you to donate those resources. No, he says, I'm going to purchase those resources. I'm going to buy them. And how many of you know that only Jesus could pay the price for our salvation, our healing, and our deliverance. And so Jesus, through his shed blood, he goes to the patron, he pays the price so that you and I can freely now receive from the broker the things that we need most, which is salvation, healing, and deliverance. Now, I don't know about you, but that fires me up. To know that Jesus, who was a man of great means, had all the means and resources you could imagine in heaven but he chose to come here to this earth and to live among us to live among the poor to live among the needy and that he would go to the father the patron and that he would shed his blood to purchase salvation and healing and deliverance and then say I've already paid the price whatever you need all you've got to do now is just come and receive it by faith just believe that I love Loved you enough to do this for you, what you could not do for yourself. Listen, grace is unearned. There's nothing that you and I, Jesus has already paid the full price. Stop trying to pay more for your salvation. Stop trying to pay more for your healing. Stop trying to pay more for your, for your deliverance. The price has already been paid. All you've got to do now is just come and freely receive it by faith. Somebody ought to thank God for his unearned, unmerited grace this morning. And let me tell you something else about grace. They sang about it earlier, that it covers. It covers sin. It covers your stupid sins and my stupid sins. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever committed a stupid sin. And I'm going to say something else here that some of you might struggle with. But it's the truth. Whether you struggle with it or not, and whether you believe it or not, and if you don't believe it, you better believe it. And that is that the grace of God even covers our intentional sins. Did you hear me? That the grace of God even covers our intentional sins. Now, I know for some of you that never sin, you struggle with that. And for some of you who never intentionally sin, and don't make me ask you to raise your hand, if you've intentionally sinned, because if you don't raise your hand, then you just intentionally lied. 
But you better thank God that he forgives sin, both intentionally and unintentional sins, because if he did not forgive it all, we would never make it to heaven. I'm so thankful this morning for the grace, the powerful covering, unending, unearned grace of God. Hallelujah. His grace is unmerited. His grace is unearned. And then here's the third thing. His grace is unlimited. It is unlimited. I told you this was going to be really simple. His grace is unlimited. Look at what this passage of Scripture in John 1.16 says. And let me give you a little bit of context for this. Because in John chapter 1, this is where the Bible is talking about how that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Speaking of Jesus, that the Word became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And then the scripture goes on to describe him that he came in full glory, full, full of grace and truth. Let, 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 me just, let me just say something to you here this morning. God does not just extend grace. God is grace. You see, if God just had grace, then it's possible that the grace could run out. But God doesn't just have grace. God is grace. God is mercy. God is love. God is all of those things. Therefore, there will never be a shortage of supply. And this scripture goes on here in verse 16 and says, For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. Do you know what that means? That means that you and I continue to receive grace over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I can't put enough overs in there. Over again. Why? Because God is eternal. And because God is infinite, so is his grace eternal. And so is his grace infinite. His grace has no bounds. His grace has no limits. And I stand on this stage here today thankful for the unlimited grace of God. Because every day I still stand in need of God's grace. Is there anybody else here this morning that has continued to need God's grace? Amen. The Bible, let's face it folks, we, we're not perfect. We still sin from time to time whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. That's why we are continually in need of the grace of Almighty God. Grace over and over and over and over again. And this is the issue that the Apostle Paul was continually having to address in the New Testament. Did you know that Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament? 13 epistles and just in case you don't know, epistles are not the wives of the apostles. Epistles are letters. That's all they mean. And he wrote 13 letters. And get this, every letter that the apostle Paul wrote, he started the letter talking about grace and he ended the letter talking about grace. Let me just go through it quickly with you here. Romans 1 and 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. At the end of Romans, in Romans 1624. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Go to the next book, 1 Corinthians 1.3. He starts that book, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He ends that book saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. He begins it saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He ends the book, the grace of the Lord Jesus 
Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Galatians, he begins Galatians, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He ends that letter. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. In Ephesians, he begins Ephesians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He ends it saying, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Philippians, he starts the book, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He ends it, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Colossians, he starts the book to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He ends it saying, grace be with you. Amen. And then you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1. He addresses who the letter is written to, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord. And he ends that book saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Second Thessalonians, it gets a little redundant, doesn't it? He begins the book, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He ends it, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. First Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He ends it by professing that some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Second Timothy to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He ends it in, in, in 422, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. You go to Titus and in Titus 1-4 to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. He ends that book. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. And then Philemon chapter 1 verse 3. He starts the book grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and he ends the book the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What is he saying? He's reminding them you start by faith. You continue by faith and you start by grace. You continue by grace and you finish by grace. Folks, none of us in this room here this morning would even stand a chance if it were not for the unmerited, unearned, unlimited grace of Almighty God. Can we just thank God for His grace this morning? Amen, amen.